This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Students across the country are studying online instead of in a classroom. Public health officials are claiming it is too dangerous for them to spend time together in a schoolroom, even though the death rate from COVID for all those under the age of 65 is lower than the death rate from the common flu every year. Now we have Eric Hanishek and Ludger Wissman with a document that they prepared for the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or off-labeled the OECD, that says the United States and other countries are going to suffer a loss running into trillions of dollars if schools do not reopen soon. In fact, the school closings that have occurred already are going to leave a generation of students with a loss of 3% of their lifetime earnings. So I am pleased to have with me today one of the authors of this new report, Eric Hanushek, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. Rick, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. It's always good to be here, Paul. Well, Rick, what's the most important finding from your latest research on the educational impact of the coronavirus pandemic? The most important finding is the magnitude of the losses that have already accrued because of the closures in the spring of 2020. We don't know what will happen going into the next school year that we're just starting now, but um, the already accrued losses are significant for all the students and for the nation. So how, what's the magnitude that you're estimating? Well, of course, there have been varying degrees of closure and what happened in closure. We think that a good uh, estimate of the average amount lost is the learning that would normally occur in about a third of a year. And a third of a year loss of learning translates into 3% lifetime earnings for all of these students or it translates into GDP being one and a half percent lower throughout the entire remainder of the century. So you're telling me that just because kids didn't go to school this spring, the GDP over the rest of this century is going to be less by over one percent? That's correct. That's correct. And it, it, the sort of the present value, if I add up all the differences from what we would have expected without the pandemic and with the pandemic or with, with the closures, it amounts to some $14 trillion in, in today's dollars. That's all present value calculations, but it's in today's dollars, we're talking about already absorbing a $14 trillion loss. This is serious business, but can, can I believe it? I mean, how did you calculate this? What's the, what's the, what's the way in which you figured this out so that our listeners are not so shocked by this number that they just sort of turn off the podcast? Well, <clears throat> anything that affects growth um, and amounts to a big number because growth is the powerful engine that makes us better off than our parents were, our grandparents were. Um, in the past, um, over the last two decades, Ludger Woosman and I have been working on what determines growth of a nation. And 
it comes down to almost entirely one simple thing, the skills of the workforce of that nation. What the learning losses imply are that the skills for this cohort of students that was directly affected will necessarily be less unless we do something to correct it. And we can come back to that later. But the numbers I've given you are, if we immediately return as of today to what schools looked like in 2019, we would have already suffered these losses. And if we don't make the schools better than they were in 2019, those losses are likely to be permanent. So I know you also make the point that there's going to be disproportionate impact on the more disadvantaged students. If everybody's not going to go to school, why is it that the less advantaged are going to be affected more seriously than those who have resources at, at home? The simple fact is that education is not entirely something done in schools that families and uh, friends and other people outside of class have a lot of influence over the learning that goes on. And it's not just the schools. What we know is that some parents are better at teaching their kids than others. And systematically, in the, uh, up until today, with, without any pandemic, we know that more advantaged parents in general provide better in-home education than uh, those of disadvantaged parents who may be working hard, may not know how to help their kids and so forth. What we've learned um, also is that very few kids learn with just an iPad and going off in the corner with an iPad. They need the help of people to guide them in what they're doing. They need the motivation of parents and others to help them. If there aren't parents there providing that for their kids, um, the losses are much larger than if there are parents. Well, that all makes sense to me. But then if that's the case, maybe some of these kids are better off from not going to school because now they're mom or maybe even their dad are sitting down and helping them out and making sure they're learning and they're getting instruction from uh, on a personalized basis getting them teaching them at exactly their level and they're actually better off by by not being required to go to school well i think that is that is the case and i think you will find um, as school starts in the fall however it starts that there's much wider variation in the starting point of kids uh, this fall than there was last fall. Because in part, there are some kids that do learn better uh, more on their own. There are lots of parents that if they can spend the time and do spend the time can in fact help their kids. Um, and that's uh, just a simple fact. Now, it, it, it can be very costly, of course, if uh, you are spending all of your time helping your grandkids, Paul, you might not be doing the work that Harvard is paying you to, to be doing. You might not be writing those important papers, but in fact, you are in fact helping your grandkids. Uh, 
they come out ahead. I'm not sure if society does. Well, you didn't mention disabled children. Aren't the impacts uh, even greater on children with disabilities? Don't they need to have a lot of structure if they're going to learn anything? If they're just being put in front of a TV screen, how are they going to learn? Well, I, I think that is the case, um, that the special ed kids of various kinds need more help, and they may not be getting that from their parents. That's putting even greater demands on the parents to try to, in fact, make up for the services that the schools are providing to special education students. Well, so some people are saying, I, I, in fact, I heard Mayor de Blasio make this point uh, that actually, you know, kids can learn online just as well as they can learn in the classroom. So what's the problem with asking kids to learn on, online? And besides that, the schools have had all summer to prepare a really good online instruction for this fall. And, and they're starting a little late so they can improve that process won't we be able to sort of make sure that it all works as normal this coming fall? Well, I'm sure that there will be some places that can. We know that some of the, um, for example, some of the best charter schools have in fact been into using technology a lot before the pandemic, and they are able to pivot to more intensive use of technology. I think we're going to see a wide variation across school districts in the country of whether they're able to pivot to more um, video based in home learning as opposed to in school learning. Um, we don't know yet. Um, but it it is almost certainly the case that the problem is not solved by just closing the di digital divide. It's not closed by making sure that every uh, one of our K to 12 students, the 55 million of them has an iPad in their hands, because it takes a lot more to in fact, organize the instruction and provide the individualized help that students are going to need. Yeah, and a lot of this material that's being used in this online instruction are sort of canned uh, materials, right? They have uh, Google has put stuff out and other other outfits have put out, out uh, products that the schools are, are making use of and using that as a substitute for you know, comprehensive understanding of what each child needs. Uh, so do we have any sense that the schools are doing anything different than they did on day one in March when they all of a sudden had to switch to a new form of learning? Well, I don't think we have the evidence yet. Um, but I should remind you that we've been pursuing the idea of distance learning for the last three or four decades. The idea was that this is how we teach rural kids, this is how we teach kids in remote areas and in developing countries and so forth. And the picture that we get out of the prior attempts to harness digital learning have, has not been all that great. Um, we don't have cases where 
it's just been a, a miracle. We do find that it su supports some distance. Some distance learning is supportive of more education than they get without it. But we, I don't think, have much evidence to suggest that we can replace the traditional in-class teacher-led uh, uh, lessons that we are used to in 2019. Well, do we have any direct evidence that school closures have a negative impact? I mean, may, yeah, because you could make the argument that, well, look, at, they're going to miss two, three months, but they'll make it up. The next year, they'll uh, somehow they'll figure out how to learn more over the next three, four months to make up for what they lost. Uh, I, you hear that all the time. Uh, I, I missed it a, a week of schooling, but then I made it up the following week or something like that. It can't can't it be made up? Well, we don't have huge amounts of evidence. We have some cases in the past where uh, we've had school closures. Um, there were a couple of years in Germany where they tried to change the whole school year and had short uh, years of schooling. Um, when people have gone back and looked at the data, you can pick those people that were, had the short years of schooling out of the achievement data that we have for the German population. You can just see them. Uh, similarly, there have been some experiences. What do you with, mean when you say you can see them? Uh, what, what are you seeing? So there have been uh, a couple recent surveys that have given tests to a representative sample of adults in the population of people. Uh, I think it's 15 to 65 that we have the full set on. And if you look at the age group that was subjected to the short school years in Germany, there's a little blip in the achievement distribution that identifies them. Um, they, they not only have lower achievement, they have lower earnings, and it has followed them into the labor market. Um, there have been some other cases in other places where there have been lengthy um, strikes of teachers in schools that have led to the closing of schools and the analyses of those, the aftermath of those strikes indicates the same thing, that there are permanent losses that exist because of these school closures. Yeah, I saw that one in, in Argentina, I think it was, where they had some some strikes that were about as long as uh, the closures this past spring. And there was another 3% figure, very similar to your figure. I thought it was quite striking that uh, this Argentinian study done quite, it was published in the economics journal, you know, several years ago, came up with almost exactly the same number that you came up with. Absolutely. But there's another way to look at this also, Paul, the discussions about, well, we'll just make it up. Well, if we could just make it up, we could have been doing better all along in our schools. And, and if we could just, just come back and say, okay, we'll work harder this year. That means we, we have been slacking off all the time in the past, if that's in fact the case. Well, what is it that they need to do? You did say that there might be a way to make it up. What, what are your recommendations on making it up? Well, 
I think that um, there are a variety of ways of doing this. Um, my our colleague uh, on this work, Andreas Schleicher, who runs the uh, PISA exams and the and the uh, education part of the OECD um, has rightfully no noted that a number of countries have shown the ability to improve their schools over relatively short periods of time. And you can see it in the PISA data that Poland and Peru and some other countries have shown dramatic improvements in their schooling. They've all been done in, in very different ways, I should say. The way that I um would just note it's not maybe not our an, an absolute recipe but though what occurred to me of how to improve the schools is to essentially build on what this new experience is in disrupted schooling this new experience in disrupted schooling has much more in-home internet technologically driven instruction it is almost certainly the case that some teachers are much better at this remote teaching than others. That this is a new media, they haven't been trained for that. Um, and so we know that some are gonna be better than that. I've been told, and I haven't seen the data, but I've been told that the people that are necessarily the best at online video-based learning are not necessarily the ones who are the, best at in-person um, instruction. So an obvious thing would be to, in fact, decide who is the most effective at the different modes of instruction and the different ways of doing this, and to use those people more intensively for that part of the instruction. In other words, manage our teaching force on the basis of the effectiveness of the teaching teachers at doing their their specific tasks. Now we've known for a long time that that might be a, a way to improve overall schooling by paying attention more to the most effective teachers and giving them more students and giving the less effective teachers fewer students, maybe other other duties and so forth. But with the crisis, this becomes more serious with the school closures, with the change in the way of delivering schooling, we're going to see, I think, larger variations in the effectiveness of teachers. And if we paid attention to those variations and designed our instructional program based upon effectiveness of the teachers, we could actually do better in that way. The other thing is, as I noted before in our discussion, it is almost certainly the case that there will be much more heterogeneity in how students are returning to the classroom this fall than there was because of your parents that are excellent teachers versus some other parents that aren't providing the same guidance and that the variations will increase. This suggests that we ought to focus more on individualized instruction, where we try to match what individual students are doing with where they are, where their learning is, and really do more 
mastery-based teaching based upon when people learn certain tasks, as opposed to all fifth graders should be doing the following at this point in time. The sort of ultimately the French model of making sure that everybody's turning the page on the same day at the same hour. Um, so the, these are two things that have been suggested for a long period of time, but we just haven't been able to implement them in our schools as they existed with um, classroom structured instruction on everything. But there's something that might be much more both necessary and palatable in the heterogeneous environment that we're going into as we have these varying reopenings of schooling. Well, one of the questions that came to my mind was why not open the schools just tomorrow as fast as you possibly can? It seems to be the logic of your study. And, and you didn't even mention all the health benefits of going to school, the eye and ear exams, the vaccinations, the ability of the nurse to spot problems. So it's not even just education, it's also health. So why aren't you recommending? The report is very restrained on the most crucial point, open the schools. Why don't you just frankly say, it's time to reopen the schools? Um, I think the reason why we shied away from that is that we wanted to emphasize that whether you reopened or you didn't, you had to do things to make sure that learning was better than it was in 2019. And that it's not just a matter of reopening schools, it's a matter of how do you make schools better. And so we wanted to, um, uh, as best we could, side, sidestep the controversies over reopening, but to emphasize that however schools are restarted, they have to be emphasizing student learning. It's not a matter of just how much distance there is between desks or whether everybody has an iPad. We have to really focus on the learning of students. And so we didn't want to get into the other controversies that we thought would distract from the main argument that so few people today are actually talking about learning. That's not in the discussions. When you read the newspapers about schools, very little is said about learning. A lot is said about the, the logistics and mechanics of opening and how many days and, and when do you start and what are the safety precautions and so forth. And it's very hard to extract any discussion of learning. I, I agree with you on that. That's been one of the shocking things about the whole discussion of opening the schools this fall is that learning seems to be the last thing people talk about. If they don't talk about safety, they talk about the babysitting function of schools. Parents need to go back to work, so we have to find a place for the kids. Yeah. That's not the main purpose of schools, to find a place for the kids. But if you read the media, you'd think that that's the only problem out there is parents can't get back to work. Absolutely. And, and uh, frankly, the uh, school personnel and the, and the teachers unions, not just the unions, but the school administrators have kept the focus on that 
uh, and haven't been talking about learning very much. Now, maybe behind the closed doors, they're, that's all they're talking about, but I don't get a sense of that from uh, what I see. Well, having some information about the conversations that go behind closed doors with other folks, I am certain that you're absolutely right. We really don't have an educational system. Maybe we don't even have a culture that values the importance of learning. Uh, and I think that's really what's so important about your study, that you're really drawing us all back to that central point. And of course, it's not only just the economy we're talking about. I know you, you think this as well. We're also talking about creating good citizens. We're also talking about creating people who can do all kinds of things in their life better because they are better educated. Absolutely. You know, and that, um, you know, we tend in our discussions of schooling to downplay that particularly in the US, you know, the uh, prevailing discussion that, oh, it's just test scores, we don't care about test scores and so forth. Well, it turns out that all of the research we have suggests that test scores are not a bad measure of the skills that are subsequently valued in society and the ability to deal in society, both the labor market and outside the labor market. Well, thank you, Rick, uh, for uh, sharing the main results from your fascinating study of the long-term educational impact of school closings as a result of a pandemic. Can I, can I just say you can either get it from a copy of this directly from the OECD website or from my website. It's called The Economic Impacts of Learning Losses, and we encourage people to to read and think about these issues. All right. Well, thank you, Rick, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks. I have been speaking with Eric Hanschek, the senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, who has, with uh, Ludger Wissman, issued a new report released by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And it's entitled The Economic Impacts of Learning Losses. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. We release a new podcast on the Education Next website every Monday at noon. Thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange.